It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there. But with all the current uncertainty, how do we know when and where to put our hard-earned money to work for us? It's easy to become distracted by that shiny object or the quote-unquote next best thing. So how do we determine which strategies will best align with our financial goals? Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with the insights and strategies to build our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Danny Nichols. And I'm Chris Thompson. This is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. Hey, everybody. Just a real quick announcement. If you've been following us for a while, or if you're a member of our Upstream Investor Crew, then you know we're big fans of self-storage. And for those of you who are also interested in self-storage, you're in luck. On August 9th, you can join us as we tour a self-storage facility in Conifer, Colorado. This is a great opportunity to meet and speak with one of the best self-storage operators in the business and see how they accomplish a storage expansion in the mountains. Whether you live in the area or if you just want to come visit us, you can find the RSVP link in the show notes or just reach out to us directly on our website or through social media. Can't wait to see you there. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. This is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. I am your host, Danny Nichols, here once again with my co-host, Chris Thompson. What's going on, Danny, man? It's good to see you, dude. Always good to see you, sir. And I got to be honest with you, I've been super excited about this week's guest for a long time. Very excited about it. Tell the listeners who we spoke with today. Okay. So today we brought in Jillian Hellman. Uh, Jillian is the co-founder and CEO of Realty Mogul, which is one of the top online real estate investing platforms with a community of over 200,000 investors across a $2.8 billion portfolio that includes 15,000 multifamily units. Her firm helped pioneer real estate crowdfunding several years ago, and they have remained among the largest platforms of their kind in the world. Today, we spoke with Jillian about how COVID has reshaped the real estate landscape over the last year and a half, and we got her perspective on what huge opportunities could be available in the near future when it comes to repurposing commercial real estate. She is super smart and knows what she's talking about. Yeah, do not miss this episode. I mean, Jillian provided us with a ton of valuable information, and even more importantly, it's relevant to right now and in going into the future. So if you're listening to this, make sure to listen to this episode all the way through because there is it's just full of great stuff. All right, two quick things before we get into today's episode. Number one, if you're a fan of the show or even a first-time listener, we would really appreciate you leaving us a rating and written review. It really helps us attract more guests, grow the podcast, and ultimately provide better information for everyone listening. Secondly, if you're a passive real estate investor or looking to learn more about passive investing, then check out our website at twosmartassets.com. There you can find our updated passive investing guide. This guide will help you get started on your passive investing journey and provide you with the right questions to ask to make sure you're ready for when the real opportunities come your way. All right, now that's out of the way, let's jump into today's episode with Jillian Hellman. Jillian, it's great to see you. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we're excited to bring you on here today for sure. Absolutely. We're definitely honored to have you on the show. And I say, let's just dive into this thing, Jillian. Uh, we know you got a lot to give. Um, you know, as we know, the last 12 to 18 months has been a bit of a wild ride, you could say the least. Uh, you know, some areas of real estate have been, you know, kept chugging along quite well, while other asset types haven't fared so well. And so to kick this thing off and kind of give a little bit more context, I'd like to start by hearing about your experience during the last year, uh, year and a half, and also get your perspective on how multifamily has performed over that time. So it's been a really fascinating, I guess it's almost a year and a half now. Um, and look, look, when COVID first hit, 
in Q2 of 2020, it was the great pause. You know, like we put deal flow on pause. We had no idea what was going to happen. You know, we sent our team to work remotely thinking they'd be back in two or three weeks. I never could have imagined that, you know, I wouldn't have seen my team in person for almost a year and a half. But it's been really fascinating since Q2 of 2020. There has been what feels like insatiable appetite to invest in commercial real estate. You know, we literally did no production in Q2 2020. And then since then, Q3, Q4 2020, Q1 and Q2 2021, we've never been busier. Um, And I think that it's because on the real estate company side, all of these companies had these goals for 2020. And there was no way to meet your 2020 goals when an entire quarter, you know, sort of evaporated off the map. And then on the investor side, the stock market's been hot, right? In addition to the stock market being hot, there's certain folks in the American population that actually have greater savings during the pandemic because of the unemployment and because of the stimulus than they did you know, prior to the pandemic. So it, it's been really, really fascinating. I think that one of the key drivers of that has been the unprecedented federal stimulus. You know, The government intervention totally distorted the markets and it helped us to avoid a crisis like 2008. That coupled with increased unemployment benefits, direct stimulus to residents, you know, billions upon billions of dollars for states to allocate to back rent to keep people in their homes when this the CDC moratorium was going on, plus the decline in interest rates, it fueled actually a very, I, I hate to use the word healthy because it seems like an oxymoron, but like a, a robust economy in a time when you wouldn't expect there to be a robust economy. And so our experience has been Q2 was the great pause. Since then, it's been, you know, off to the races. I also think that there's an interesting psychological change that has happened for some individuals because of this remote environment, which is they're more comfortable than ever investing on the internet, right? When we started Realty Mogul, you know, eight, nine years ago, we, it was the early adopters only, right? The people who would put their bank account information online and give us access to it through an API and allow us to, you know, auto debit money from their accounts. Like that was scary back then. It's not scary anymore. You know, today, no one's going to banks. No one's you know, transacting the old fashioned way. You don't have to sit across a a table and break bread with someone to trust them. And so that's been a big windfall for our business and and being a digital marketplace, but just the economy in general. Like I I never could have imagined that our economy would be this strong and healthy. And again, I I share that sort of lightly, not only because of the word healthy, but also it's, it's strange that the economy here is this strong, right? It's strange that the stock market has grown so dramatically since, you know, what is it, April, March, April, 2020. Um, And that's fueled continued growth in real estate. And I think real estate by and large outside, certainly of hospitality and certainly of some office and retail, um, it's done really, really well. And I I think that uh, it's surprising how well it's done. Right. You know, and I think you bring up a lot of good points there, you know, talking about the stimulus and, and those things and how that may affect things as of right now. But I'm curious, as this progresses, you know, and, and, you know, we go through this time of, you know, uncertainty, really, you know, and the, the economy is doing, quote unquote, doing well right now and it's healthy. Do you see this continuing into the future? And, and if, if so, if not, what, how do you see any potential speed bumps or maybe roadblocks in, say, the next few years that potential investors should be paying attention to now just in case? Look, the, the economy in the world is cyclical. Right. So, of course, there's going to be speed bumps. Right. I don't know that any of us properly predicted that the pandemic was going to be the source of this, you know, speed bump that was actually a a shorter speed bump than maybe it could have been. But of course, there's going to be hiccups. Right. There's a big open question around how do we increase rates? Right. And when you increase rates and you start to see, you know, cap rates gap out or expand as opposed to compress, and they've been compressing through the pandemic, 
what impact is that going to have, right? When cap rates go up, values go down, right? They're in, they, mm-hmm. they work in inverse to one another. And so, you know, I think that is the Fed looks to increase rates, which I don't expect them to do anytime soon. But, you know, I've, I've been wrong about rates before and I'll probably be wrong about rates again. That's a big open question for me, right? And that's probably going to be the source of, of one speed bump. Um, there's also a big open question around what happens when unemployment stops. And that one's just coming around the corner, right? Are people going to choose to go back into jobs? Are there, are those jobs still there? You know, we don't, that's untested today, especially for the impact that that has on workforce housing apartments where we're long, right? We're long affordable housing. We're long workforce housing apartments. We can talk about why we're long on that, you know, later in the show, if you guys would like to, but that's an open question that we have right now. And those are those are more shorter term speed bumps, right? Then you have the longer term speed bumps around, you know, what happens if a country defaults on its debt? What happens if there's another pandemic, right? How, how does that impact the economy? And, you know, despite what I think was a pretty remarkable medical response, it still took us over a year to get a vaccine, right? And there was still an impact to the country. So the next time it happens, you know, using the new mRNA technology, can we build a vaccine in six months or nine months or three months? Who knows, right? But is that another hiccup? So in general, Anytime I think about investing my own wealth or, or I work with, you know, investors, I like to take a really long-term approach, right? And I like to think about it as, of course, there's going to be speed bumps. You should expect speed bumps, right? And yet, if you take a long-term approach, if you invest in markets where there's expected to be growth and you have a long enough time horizon, you should be okay, right? Mm-hmm. And I think in real estate, that's, that's pretty tried and true. Like, no one who invested in real estate in 19... 50 and held on to the assets today is bummed that they held on to that asset, right? Nor do they remember any of the speed bumps, nor do they even remember, you know, the great financial crisis of 2008, right? If you think about people who, who bought real estate and held real estate before the Great Depression, I'm sure they're not upset about owning that real estate today or their families or their, you know, grandchildren or whatever it may be that now may be the, the next generation or next two generations. So, you know, time heals all. And I think thinking about your investment strategy on a long period of time is, is important. But of course, there's going to be speed bumps. I think it's going to be rates. I think it's going to be, you know, how, how interconnected our world has become. And the pandemic's a great example of that. You know, what can start in one country can have tremendous ripple effects in another country. And we're just getting increasingly globalized. Um, so, you know, I think that it's, it's global recessions now. It's not, you know, strictly one country that doesn't have an impact on supply chains of other countries. So it, there'll definitely be speed bumps. You, uh, you, you bring up a lot of uh, extremely good points that I agree with. Uh, I'm curious, you know, when uh, in, in just thinking about COVID and you're talking about like quarter two of last year, basically just evaporating. <clears throat> and then, uh, you know, subsequently, I, I feel like it was kind of like a fire hose. Like there was just a lot of stuff, like back, a lot of back pressure. Everybody was hungry. But like, do you feel like uh, COVID has reshaped real estate? Like how so? And how do you think smart money is like poised to capitalize on this? Yeah, I think that there's, I think that COVID has been an accelerator for a lot of trends, right? So if we just break those down, because real estate's a very big, broad, you know, world. I don't know how many articles there were on the build to rent industry prior to COVID, right? Mm-hmm. So single family build to rent is effectively a new asset class that I think largely got its, its trajectory from COVID. So when you think about like an entirely new asset class and and buying, you know, buying and aggregating single family happened coming out of the last crisis, right? You had Waypoint Homes and Starwood and, you know, all these large institutional buyers that kind of amassed these single family homes, but you didn't hear build to rent. You didn't see people, you know, kind of in that asset class. So from that perspective, 100%, right? It created sort of this new asset class the same way that the great 
financial crisis of 2008 created, you know, single family amalgamation as an asset class. So in that case, yes. If we take another example, let's look at industrial. So one of the trends that I think COVID greatly accelerated is digital purchasing. Now, digital purchasing was already a huge part of our lives, especially for younger generations prior to COVID. But, you know, my my father's in his 80s and my mother's in her 70s and my mother and father now order their groceries on the internet. There's no way I would have gotten them to order their groceries on the internet prior to COVID. It would not have happened it just wouldn't have happened, right? And right. and now yeah. it happens, right? And even now that they've been vaccinated and they can go back into the world, you know, my my mom still gets sort of the staples through online ordering and then goes to the grocery store just because it's fun, right? And it gives her something to do and she enjoys it and she's a fabulous cook and all of these things. Um, but like, that's an example, right? So in order to meet the demand of increased digital purchasing, there's much higher need for industrial, right? Industrial has been on fire in real estate and it was always gonna happen. There was no doubt in anyone's mind that more and more retail purchasing was going to go from physical to digital. I think that like any economist would have told you that was going to happen. I don't think anyone could have predicted the acceleration factor that COVID was. And so it's been a boon to industrial, you know, last mile industrial in addition to, you know, non-last mile industrials just done fantastically. And I think that industrial comes out as one of the darlings of COVID. And I don't think that that's going to change. Office is the one that's the biggest question mark for me right now. In, in one sense of the world, you know, here we are, it's June 2021, the major New York City employers are forcing people back in the office. You know, I just heard that Blackstone has a return to work day, five days in the office, you know, five days a week in the office of June 7th. So in, in you know, three days or whatever it is, I think it's Monday or Tuesday of next week. That is very interesting, right? And, and on the flip side, you've got all these companies that are coming out publicly and saying, we're remote first. You don't have to show up in an office. We've learned how to be, you know, dispersed. Business is going fine. We figured out communication. You know, Zoom is now a verb. Um, and so what's the impact that that's, that's going to be on office? And that's the big open question. You know, we are investors in office. You know, we have many investors who have invested in office through us. Thankfully, you know, knock on wood, our offices performed well during COVID and collections have been great. And a lot of that is big companies, right? Big credit tenants, triple net office deals, you know, tenants that are locked into long-term leases, you know, it was less of kind of the the mom and pop and shorter term leases. And so because of the way that office works, where typically office leases are longer term, right? Where multifamily is one year, office is three or five or seven or 10. You know, they may have many extension options taking you out into 20 or 30 years, depending on the business and, and the office. So some of that office came through COVID relatively unscathed. There's an argument to be made that because of COVID and social distancing, people are going to need more office space. There's an argument to be made that, you know, a ton of companies are going to stay remote. They're going to need less office space. I don't know where that works out. I think it's going to be very challenging in today's environment to retain and recruit high quality talent, forcing someone to go into an office. And so net net, I think office is going to be a loser, but that doesn't mean that all office is going to be a loser. Yeah, I I agree. There's a couple asset classes there. And hospitality was just a shit show, right? So we can talk about (laughs) hospitality, but like what a disaster zone, right? Yeah, I, uh, well, okay. So you, you, you brought up a couple points there that I'd like to unpack just a little bit there. You know, uh, yeah, some of these cities are super scary, I think, as far as office, like New York, L.A. I mean, uh, I don't know, we'd probably go on. But I feel like there's one maybe tiny exception just being in Texas or Dallas. We got a lot of companies that are announcing, you know, going into there. And I'm curious, like, I think it's a pretty safe bet. Like, office will be back to some degree, you know. It'll be a more long on office in the long run, I think. But, like, 
how do you feel like, how do you see this playing out in the, in the near future or what cities with that being in mind, like what cities do you find yourself or your company like gravitating towards and seeing these emerge like in Dallas or Austin or something like that, where office you can tell like doing pretty good. It all comes down to supply and demand. Right. And I would actually argue that Austin and Dallas, even though you have, mass relocations happening, you know, like Mm Seabury just announced they're going into, into Texas. You know, there's been a lot of mass relocations. I actually think you might be oversupplied in Austin and Dallas, even with that demand. It's interesting. I I have in me a, um, like a blog post or a thesis that I've been ruminating on that I have not gotten pen to paper yet, but the, the title of it is a tale of the micro. And I think one of the things I really learned through COVID is that there's no sense in talking about real estate as real estate right? Let's talk about class B office in, you know, Austin, right? Let's talk about class C multifamily in Charlotte, right? And the reason I suggest that is because there was such a different outcome of COVID in different places, right? If you just look at the unemployment rates as an example, and you look at Utah's unemployment rate during COVID, the the unemployment actually went down if you look at it. And that's insane, right? And you had other markets where the unemployment was, you know, double digits, 15%, 16%. And so in the same vein as you're thinking about unemployment, I also think you have to think about supply and demand, right? So there's there's certain markets where the supply and demand of office is out kilter. And I think office is going to do fine. There's other markets where I think that, you know, you've got oversupply and it's not going to do fine. I actually think, and maybe this is a contrarian view, but I don't think New York office is, is going to be as problematic as people might have thought. I think New York is showing itself to have an office culture. And I think you might find different cities make different choices about the culture of are you in an office or not. You know, when you've got these major institutions who have come out and said, you must be in an office five days a week, unsurprisingly, because they're some of the major landlords, right? So if you think about economic incentives there, it's not surprising. It's sort of sitting right in front of all of us. But um, I think you might see the culture of office being different in different markets. And I think New York's already proving to be an office culture. Uh, and, and the other reality too, is even if you're going to have people in the office three days a week, you still need the same amount of space, right? Like, so whether it's three days a week in the office or five days a week in the office, I think you need the same amount of space. I think it's going to be companies that choose not to be in an office at all, right? Companies that allow truly remote work that that's by and large, that's going to, going to reduce demand, right? Just across the board by and large, but I think you're going to have different cultures in different cities, but remains to be seen. You know, that's a hard Mm -hmm. one for me to predict. And so we're treading lightly in office. We're actually working on an office deal right now um, for for a number of reasons that we think make sense, right? Credit tenant and long-term cash flows and, you know, cheap debt. And so those kind of office deals we, we like, and we think make sense in a market that we don't think is, you know, oversupplied. Um, but just generally in office, I'm a big question mark and you got to go into the details and you got to think very, very micro. Sure. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And I appreciate you going over that for sure. That's a lot of good stuff there. And it kind of on that same vein, I know we were talking about kind of migration and then also different markets, but you know, prior to COVID there were already, you know, some migration trends occurring in the U S and, you know, people moving from higher priced areas to more affordable areas. And then, you know, obviously, uh, like you said earlier, uh, you know, with COVID, it's kind of been uh, an acceleration of uh, this migration pattern. Um, and just so for our listeners, so they can wrap their heads up, what does that mean for us real estate investors going forward? And I think maybe directing that in a slightly different way, like what, what geographies do we like and where are we sure. thinking as far as, you know, geographic markets of, of where real estate investors might want to be spending time and money? I, I mean, I think that capital's chasing growth, right? So 
markets like Phoenix, Dallas, Columbus, Raleigh, Charlotte, you know, I'd say from a state perspective, it's all about states with lower no income taxes, you know, Washington, Texas, Florida, which unsurprisingly are markets where there's job growth and population growth, you know, and I think that that trend is here to stay. You know, the, the thing we see most that investors are typically most interested in is like Sunbelt markets, right? Where you've got growth, where you've got good tax treatment. Um, you know, you, you see, you saw movement during COVID. You saw people, you know, leaving San Francisco, leaving New York, leaving Los Angeles, going to places like Washington and going to places like Texas and Florida. You know, you see Miami heating up and huge population growth in Miami. Um, and, and I think that that trend is here to stay. You know, I think that that trend, though, is paired with the earlier trend that we talked about, which is work from home. So I talked about accelerators during COVID, kind of the rise of industrial being one. The other rise clearly is working from home and having additional flexibility, which allows people to live in different places. You know, at our own company, you know, we had someone move to New York, which is the antithesis of what I just described, but someone moved to New York, you know, someone moved to Wyoming, someone moved to Colorado, someone moved to Florida, someone moved to Hawaii. I mean, if we were a small microcosm of what was going on around the world, around the world, and particularly in the U.S., like, it's a, it's remarkable how much motion there was, right? It, it's right. it's truly remarkable, and I think that this trend of remote work allows people to live a different life and to think about life in a different way. And so, you know, those those states with low income tax are going to be the big winners, and then the states with you know growth are going to be the big winners from a real estate perspective. Now, that being said, I also like a lot of the Midwest markets, and a lot of the Midwest markets you don't have the same velocity of job creation or velocity of population growth. But the reason why I like them is because of that supply and demand argument. So take a market like St. Louis that we're interestingly bullish on, you don't have that huge population growth, you don't have that huge job creation, and you don't have nearly the amount of construction starts that you have in a market like you know Dallas as an example, right? So the, the same place that a lot of investors are, are gravitating towards for that population growth and that job creation are the same markets that develop, developers are gravitating towards. And what that means is you're gonna have additional supply. And so you have to be very careful in the types of real estate that you're going to buy in that sub-market. Um, and, and we like workforce housing a lot. We like affordable housing a lot because you can't build it, right? It's not affordable right. to build it anymore. It's impossible. You can't, you can't create, unless it's on a tax advantaged and you know, a lot of government subsidies, you can't actually create replacement products. So your, your workforce and affordable housing is never going to compete with your class A product. It's going to push down you know, class B plus rents. Um, so long-winded way of saying it kind of goes back to the micro. Sure. Okay. So I, I guess just to, just to pound on this a little bit more, like, you know, with, with the migration, with people being remote, um, I'm curious about like the workspaces that are, that were previously being used that are no longer being used to their capacity. And in some cases, I'm sure many, but not even at all, there's a huge opportunity for like repurposing. And I'm curious, like what you're, what your thoughts are on, on like this possible repurposing or best case use uh, of what could be like millions or billions of uh, office space. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's not only office space. I mean, it's, it's mm -hmm. malls, right? It's secondary and tertiary malls. It's retail. Like we're, we're overbuilt in this country in, in the mall and in the retail space. And so, you know, we've already been talking about the major reckoning in retail. I actually, as a aside, I like retail in a lot of situations because it's so out of favor right? And so there's another kind of conversation maybe for another day there, but it depends on what's the highest and best use in that sub-market. You know, for, for a lot of the land and just sort of the dirt, it's going to be multifamily, right? And multifamily is going to be the highest and best use or mixed use, right? Multifamily with grand four retail and kind of build these, build these cities out. So 
you know, we're, we're, we're overbuilt in retail, we're overbuilt in malls, we're underbuilt in multifamily, and some markets were under or overbuilt in office, depending on the submarket. But it's fascinating. You know, I mean, we just saw a really interesting deal in Connecticut, which is an office building that's being repurposed into multifamily, you know, and, and it's actually happening. And there's real things happening there. We've seen numerous hospitality transactions. So, you know, hotel deals that just got totally battered in COVID um, being acquired and being turned into multifamily. Now, a lot of those are, are like more micro units, you know, mm-hmm. 400, 500 square feet micro sure. units, which give you more affordable housing in super dense markets. Like we just looked at a deal in Austin, Texas, for example, which is, you know, getting very pricey and is very dense, like right in, in local kind of downtown, not in some of the, the more secondary and tertiary markets in Austin. But um, that's really interesting, right? Where you can actually, you, can, you can't build affordable housing anymore. It's impossible, mm-hmm. right? Unless you have tax subsidies and the things that I, that I mentioned. But you can take a dilapidated hotel and turn it into really nice micro units that are 450 square feet where the rents on that micro unit are affordable, right? It's not right. 800 square feet, but it's you know an affordable sort of micro unit in the heart of a city, kind of like co-living as well, which is kind of another alternative to the affordable housing crisis. So we've seen hospitality turn into multifamily. We've seen office turn into multifamily. I think you're going to see, you know, more and more mixed use. So retail and multifamily, kind of that live work play. I think you may also see more, <coughs> excuse me, sort of integrated, you know, ability to work and live kind of in the same place, right? So is that, you know, uh, a studio that also has a side office or some ability to kind of work and play and live in the same space, which is a, a different use. You know, we've seen this isn't isn't taking existing retail stock or office stock and doing a conversion, but we've seen developers today making adaptations because of the pandemic. So they'll build, you know, one bedroom apartment buildings that have a slightly larger kitchen and living room area where you can stick a a side office, right? Because more and more people are working from home. That's a greater trend. Um, So it depends on what the highest and best use. Some of it's just going to get torn down or some of it's just going to sit there vacant, right? That's also, you know, a big piece of it. And if you think about, you know, there's, there's a huge wave of, of CMBS pain and hurt that, is still to come, right? Which is largely hospitality and retail. That stuff takes years to work through. That stuff's just going to sit dilapidated in an eyesore. And and that's going to be part of the stock of that that is just, you know, no longer its highest and best use until you have, you know, some talented real estate developer who comes in with an amazing vision and a lot of capital to fix it. Um, So some of it'll just go to to die. Some of it'll be repurposed. and, And, you know, the other remains to be seen based on the micro market of what, what the highest and best use is. Yeah. You bring up a lot of good stuff there. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you sharing your perspective on that. Cause I know our listeners are going to be able to take a lot away from that. Uh, you know, Jillian, uh, I've learned a lot just from this conversation with you. Uh, you know, it's been, it's been great. Uh, love being able to connect with you, but before we get out of here, we're going to take some time and shine the spotlight on you. So tell us more about Realty Mogul and anything else you have going on. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're, we're a digital marketplace for real estate investing. We'd love for you to come on our website and create a user account. Um, there, there's no pressure. It's free to create a user account. It's, it's really fun because we, we have, um, I, I guess, folks across the spectrum, young and old, who come on and just learn a lot about real estate investing. You know, I, I run a podcast and we talk about real estate and asset classes and, and all of that fun stuff. Um, and it, it's been really fun to sort of help to educate a new generation of real estate investors. You know, and, and even for people who don't make an investment with us, they can see, okay, Realtimical is doing that multifamily deal and why are they doing it? And they can listen into sort of the webinar for that deal. And now they're doing, you know, that office deal in that market. And I heard Jillian say that, you know, they really care about supply and demand and, and long-term leases when it comes to office. And this is what a deal like that looks like, right? Um, to kind of connect the dots there. So 
you know, I, I love for people just to, to come and track us and track the deals that, you know, are available on Realty Mogul to be invested in. Obviously, if you want to invest with us, please do. But, you know, please don't do it with dinner table money. So I, I try and spend my time, you know, convincing people not to invest with us as much as I do to invest with us because th- these are these are long-term investments in illiquid assets, right? It's not like a, a publicly traded stock that you can sell tomorrow if you want to, right? We're, we're not the Robin Hood of the world, um, but we but we are a marketplace for people to gain access and, and we take that seriously. And so, you know, it's been a lot of fun to build. I've, I've gotten to work with some amazing, amazing people and meet amazing people like the two of you. Absolutely. Jillian, you know, we're going to make sure to include a Realty Mogul's uh, link in our show notes. So any investors can go and check that out, connect with you and uh, check out your deals. I, you guys are providing a ton of uh, valuable information. And uh, so I think that's, that's pretty amazing, but uh, Jillian, Absolutely excited to have connected with you today. Thank you for coming on our show. We really appreciate it. You got it. Take care, guys. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. Head over to iTunes to subscribe to the show. And while you're there, we really appreciate you leaving a rating and written review. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear on the show, connect with us on social media or through our website at twosmartassets.com. We look forward to speaking to each and every one of you. Talk to you soon.